Hans only a gilligan, Dealed and three pounds, Where the young men and maidens Go a mean their sweet hearts, by a drinking strong brandy, us to me for two three, those are false hearted women, they would drive you astray. On the strands of me, a gilligan, where the wild thorns do fly. There is one amongst them, and she does fly high. If I had her in my arms down on the bank strand, I would kindly subdue her by the slide of my hand. Eddie Butcher, ballad singer and ballad maker, now in his 76th year, from McGilligan, the triangle of land which juts out towards the entrance to Loch Foyle in North County Derry. In this documentary we look at his native place, its varied elements of tradition, history and social background, largely through Eddie's own recollections and through his songs, but also through the eyes of such friends, neighbours and observers as Jack Devenny, Len Graham, Daniel McLaughlin and Dr Hugh Shields. Oh, it's a very interesting place. Um, it's the triangle of flat, uh, sandy land, a kind of peninsula between Loch Foyle and uh, the Atlantic, I suppose we may call it. And on the south or the southeast is a very fine row of cliffs which culminate in a mountain that's called Benevena or Benevenu or sometimes just the rock in the locality. Uh, the um, Parish of McGilligan is nearly uh, comprised nearly all of the the flat area down below those cliffs, and uh, it's uh, well, uh, it, it's a place which has been um, uh, colonised since the 17th century, with a great deal of influence from Scotland rather than from England. I think during the plantation, the influence was Scottish, and you certainly notice that today in the uh, kind of language which is spoken there. Very strongly Scottish. The lands of McGilligan were church lands, uh, and uh, at the time of the plantation, the church lands were exempt from the requirement that uh, English and Scottish settlers would be planted. As a result, uh, Irish families were able to survive and stay on in the McGilligan area. Uh, in fact, to a great extent, throughout County Derry, there was a large proportion of church lands and this helped the, the native Irish to survive in the early days of the plantation. Uh, later on, when the famous Earl of Bristol, Bishop of Derry, came to uh, the Episcopal throne of Derry, he was a very young man, and he exercised a, a, an ecclesiastical trick, it might be called, of running his life against the leases it was, it was described as. Uh, all church lands were in those days let on leases for 21 years, renewed annually on payment of a fine so that a tenant of church land knew he'd always 21 years ahead of him. The Earl of Bristol declined to renew the leases and at the end of the 21 years took the entire lands of McGilligan to himself. He then relet back to the tenants, of course, but he had interposed himself between the church uh, for, for whom he was supposed to be a trustee and the tenants. And that's how, in fact, that entire area was acquired by the Earl of Bristol and passed on by him 
to his descendants, the uh, Harvey Bruce's of Daniel. Near the strands of me, a gilligan, up in Castledustan. It is bound round with ivy and diamonds so grand. It is bound round with ivy and diamonds so brown. It's a pilot for sailors. On a dark winter's night. The Earl of Bristol uh, certainly did leave quite a mark in, in Downhill Castle, uh, which dominates the entire McGilligan Plain. He was, as you know, uh, an inveterate builder. He said it was his intention to make the county of Derry look like a gentleman, and he put spires in all the churches of Ireland throughout the county, in fact, throughout his diocese. He built two enormous palaces, one at Downhill and another at Ballyscullion on the shores of Loch Nay, Loch Beg. Um, he lived in Downhill when he was in Ireland, which wasn't very often, and uh, it, must, it must have been quite a grand, a grandiose house to live in. The temple down on the edge of the cliff uh, he named after um, a Mrs Mussenden, who was related to him and married to a, Belf a Belfast merchant. Uh, it was intended as a library and a retreat and the view from the window looking out towards the sea is certainly magnificent because it's quite a sheer drop down about 300 feet. There's a quotation from Lucretius round the top of the building which roughly translated is When tempests rack the ocean's mighty face how sweet it is from land to watch the sailors toil. And uh, this was rather his, I think, philosophy in many things. He enjoyed himself and let others do the work. Hmm. Uh, it fell into decay and disrepair over a long period of time and has now been restored. The building has been restored by the National Trust. In the early days of the building of Downhill Castle, a lot of Italian workmen were employed in the plastering and the mosaic work and uh, they went to Mass in the vault underneath the Mussenden Temple. And for some years afterwards, the local Catholics used it uh, as, a, as a mass house before eventually they got a site for a chapel up at Milltown. The monument that he erected on the south side of the castle was to his older brother, who died and uh, was the means of his coming into the Bristol fortunes and, and the earldom. And he felt, I suppose, it was only right that the, the uh, brother should be honoured. The, the present building was in fact topped by a, a larger than life-size statue of the brother but it blew down in the, in the big wind and uh, the remains of the trunk can be seen just inside the, the gate uh, going into the downhill gardens at the moment. I lived in McGilligan all my days and I have been at the Strands many of the time and uh, 76 years ago I was born in McGilligan. Has, has, has the place changed much in all that time? Oh, a lot, a lot, a lot. It's changed a lot. Different altogether. The people's different. They weren't the same at all. They weren't so much of this running and dancing and carrying on as there's going on now, you know. Well, the strands, of course, have remained the same the anyhow. The strands are the same as ever was. And, ever, and they'll be that way to the end of time. Uh, Tide lay ebb and flow, just as you do, on the strand. Uh, and the, but the castle that 
that avion that's away. Well, no. Used to be a pilot for the sailors, but it's no, it's no, there's no lights on it now. It's just there. Oh, kind friends, I'm just come here tonight to sing to all of you about this play like wine, my love, she loved down near the sea. She was born in McGilligan, with its mountains bold and grand. On the first place that I saw my love, it was down upon the strand. Through Benevenue Rock, so lofty, where the ravens build their nest, I often took her for a stroll and clustered to my breast. And just as we were retiring after walking the whole day, near to Swindon Crown, I pressed her hand and thus to her did say, We will never leave Miguel and my merry dear, and I. For I will leave Miguel again, I'm sure we both would die. We will a comfort one and other while there remains a stone. In that pretty little cottage on the shores of Sweden Benoon. Eddie's a great friend of mine, and he's a sure man, and I am a lot younger than Eddie, but I was born away up in, in the mountains, you know, about 15, 20 miles back, and, and we're all seafaring and farming people up there, you know what I mean? God, it's very wild. You know, a man down here... Like, he, Life he, is hard, sort of. Very hard, very hard. You know, up there, they never do anything, like, whenever they come of age, like, what had they? You'd say a man now like Eddie Butcher would be far more relaxed and would take life easier, would he? Oh, God, no. Like, <laughs> Eddie's older than me. He had he worked very hard, you know what I mean? There was only the one employer about here, like, whenever Eddie was a young fella, and that was J.B. Work, and by God, you had he worked for him, you know, he... Yeah, but you could be working for him, and yet you could have a completely different attitude to life. You oh, could, you could, you could. You could you enjoy could. life. Oh, you could, you could. It was more civilised, you know. You know, obviously oh, Eddie sang uh, and, and uh, enjoyed himself and took life reasonably easy in spite of the hard work. He'd relax after the work. I did, surely. Up in Kilhoyle, sure, you were away up in the, in the middle of the mountain, sure there was nobody near you. You know what I mean? I'm sure in the village was a couple of miles away from you. Now, and when you walk down there and walk back, man, there wasn't much <laughs> crack about it. Like, I'll tell you that. And you were asking about songs from... From the mountainy part of the country, like I could sing a wee song up there. They call the mountainy farmer. You know what I mean? It relates to the whole, the whole area about here. You know, we'll try it anyway. I am the mountainy farmer. I'm fitted to work and tire. I've cleared the rocks and thinned the winds, coaxed a living from the soil. I can't afford a holiday or get myself a wife for a woman doesn't want to share in a mountainy farmer's life. Now I have ten statute acres of land that I can till. I fortify we black-faced years I graze them on the hill. I have a horse 
a cow or two, some hens, but they are old, and a wee black holy dog, sure he's far dearer to me than gold. Ah, now when the crops they are all in the turf, I have to save. I haven't time to wash me face, I haven't time to shave. I go down to the grocer, but he's always in the rice, for to go and have a chat in with the boys who go to the boys. Now me life is just a misery, Hard work and little gain. Me legs are bent with climbing hills, me shoulders ragged with pins. So I'll say goodbye to the mountains, to the rocks, and to the winds. I take the bus, I make no fuss, and I go to the Nazareth. None. In my opinion, it's an area which would repay a very close sociological study because you had the older families probably surviving from pre-plantation times along the, the upper portions of the high road. And then after the lands were drained, you got this influx of the Presbyterian farmers from Andalou and Dunbow and the uh, large number of McGilligan any shown men who came in to work the farms uh, so that you have really three strands in the, in the population of that area uh, I don't think as yet any detailed study of the families and their descents has been done although there's quite a lot of material available in, in the old uh, rent records of both the McGilligan estates and the neighbouring estates of Ballerina and, uh, and, that, and that side there aren't as many Presbyterians there, I gather, now as there used to be. Uh, I would say there were never, uh, there was never a, certainly a majority. Um, in fact, it, is, it was an interesting situation where so much of the land was owned by Presbyterians, and yet the population was very largely Catholic. Uh, the um, the Church of Ireland element in the population has probably declined a great deal more than the Presbyterian element in the population. And of course, you have the three churches there, still all within a oh yes, all short very, radius very close together. Another. Yes, indeed. Uh, the old church of, at St Aidan's is a most interesting old building. It's uh, hidden as it is in the fold of the hills, um, probably no doubt a relic from the days when the uh, Viking raiders would come round that it was well concealed from the sea. Oh, a stream of light crystal air on down that rare for to be seen. Where there you'll see the Irish young trembles of the ivy green. The shower of roses and thrustle on the lovely to be seen. They flourish all together, boys, along the fountain. There is in, in McGilligan, there has been influence from all sides, and it is very apparent in the, uh, the songs of the area. 
which are sung by everyone, whether Protestant or Catholic. Uh, the, the, the thing seems to be uh, a, a simple general tradition of songs that might be English or Scottish in origin or equally Irish, uh, Anglo-Irish broadside songs, of course, a great many of them, and, uh, and uh, they're extremely varied, but they do seem to form a kind of... Uh, uh, a kind of synthesis. It's it's interesting that uh, certain songs are just pure Scots. They seem to come in and they're virtually unchanged. Uh, there, there's one song which is by uh, a known author, Sandy Roger, dating from about 1830. It's Robin Thompson's Smitty. And it's uh, absolutely chock-a-block with Scotticisms. Uh, the one that interested me most was uh, a kind of adaptation of Tam Lin. Tam Lin is about shape-changing. Uh, the... Uh, the lover, the man, is in the uh, in the power of the fairies, um, and he must be won back by the girl. Um, it, it's reversed in the Irish version, so that uh, um, the uh, husband loses his wife and has to retrieve her from the fairies. It's a sort of uh, a story in song. There's, the verses are uh, form part of a folk tale in Irish or in, in Ireland, and that is what he has. Saturday night, this holy night, the quality's all to rain, and he who has a right to meet at the five might bring his bain. First you'll meet the black, and second you'll meet the brown, and catch the baby, the bridal rain, and pull the rider down, and he pulled down his wife. <laughs> the Scottish influence then most evident in songs like Tam Lin and in the dialect of English. The English influence through the Earl Bishop and in many of the games played. Played a lot of cricket about here, like. You know, cricket was a This is the English influence again. Ah, well, English, came in Scottish, ah, yes, definitely. I suppose yeah. we don't know anything else but English and Scottish <laughs> influence, you know. But they did, they played a lot of cricket, like, and Eddie knows a good song there about cricket that was made oh, a lot of years ago. He could tell you more about it than me. He sung a song to me, you know, in the past. From the waterside they sailed away through cloudy down the road their bands had bid before them and their buttons by their side. From Derry down to Corin down sure we can beat them all. We can beat all parts of Europe with their cricket button ball and with their button ball will conquer all. Great action we will show. We will soon defeat them given sure our Derry boys you know. A lot of people don't appreciate the fact, you see, that we're well used to planters here, do you know what I mean? And, and the estate at Palapar, you see, was one of these places who was handed over to some big fella from across the water, you know what I mean? And he inherited this estate. He didn't pay for it or any other sort of thing. He got it give to him, do you know what I mean? But he brought in the cricket. You know, and the boys played cricket yeah, the and they got used to it. We don't, we don't feel anything about that, you know, but none of played on the estate, like, and, and you know, it's but just it's, a... Sh- apparently there's a big Scottish influence here now. In in the dialect itself, I notice that it's, it's very close to the Scots. Is there any particular reason for that? Ah, uh, well, we might have more love for the Scots than we do for the English, Daddy, what do you think? There's more love for the Scots and there's more Scots songs. And uh, Scots are very and much the like ourselves, you know. I mean, the music, music yes, yes. Uh, you know, they're, more, they're and all more like ourselves. You know, they're more like ourselves. They're, they're kind of we class the Scots as country people, like, and we're country people. But the English are nobility and study people, like. And, you know, was it a class thing? Do you think? 
I would say it was. I definitely it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and uh, especially uh, around here, obviously the the English were the upper class uh, oh, associated with landlordism. They were given the estates, and, and the Scotsman was just a working man like us. You know, but the Englishman was given something for nothing. You know. Mm-hmm. And obviously they all left their mark, especially this Bishop of Derry, the famous Frederick Hervey. Wow. Why wouldn't they? Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, he got uh, he got through into the position and he left his mark. Like, sure, that's he had plenty of money and he threw it around exactly. on all sorts of follies and castles exactly. and exactly. what have you. Well, exactly. That's that point. Just definitely. Today, the big landlords are gone, and the people who once worked the estates now live a life of reasonable comfort, even if they don't own any land. Oh, they love here all right. They just carry on as they according to their means. And, uh, Have most people a bit of land? Well, no. There's nobody's land about where I live here, only farmers. There's no poor man is any land, but they take the land. Some f- boys take land for the one year to the other, you know, at a, at a rent. And that's the only way they leave the land. But when it comes to the November, they're finished. Then there's an auction and some other body maybe takes the same land for another year. That's the way that goes. Has it always been like that? Has it always been like that? Arthur Young, who wrote a famous travel book, visited McGilligan in August 1776 for the sake of seeing, as he said, the new house a building on the sea coast by the Bishop of Derry, which will be a large and convenient edifice, the shell not finished. It stands on a bold shore but in a country where a tree is a rarity. At McGilligan, he goes on to say, is a rabbit warren, which yields an average 3,000 dozen per annum. The bodies are sold at twopence a couple, but the skins are sold at five shillings and sevenpence to six shillings a dozen, selling from 1,500 to 1,800 pounds worth a year. The warren is a sandy tract on the shore and belongs to the bishop. The McGilligan area had a great reputation for its rabbits, uh, no doubt in the days before the drainage was a much larger area given over to rabbits, but even in recent years there must have been a tremendous rabbit population. And the people in McGilligan got rabbit to eat quite a lot. There was an old rhyme which went like this, For rabbits hot, for rabbits cold, for rabbits young, for rabbits old, for rabbits tender, for rabbits tough, we thank the Lord we've had enough. The rabbit's uh, skins were um, exported from the McGilligan area for um, making felt for hats, and it was quite a, quite an industry. Uh, there was also quite an industry in, in illicit st- distillation, apparently, in that area. Uh, it's recorded that in 1835 there were about 400 illicit stills, which gave us a, a fair distribution. Nowadays, however, the legally approved article is freely available, and the local distillation, whether from bush mills or coal rain, is highly thought of. Well, Corain co- is a very famous old whiskey, you know what I mean? Uh, everybody around here, whenever they want hot whiskey, they ask for hot Corains. Why is that? Well, apparently it makes the best hot whiskey you can get in Ireland. They can talk about them all, but Corain hot's out in its own. Uh, it's also labelled HC, I believe, uh, supplied to the House of Commons. What's yes. the legend about that? Uh, well, no. I don't know a lot about it, but Taylor was the was the the name of the man who started it up. You know what I mean? And they always had it down as H.C. Taylor. You know, 
and I don't know whether the House of Commons, but uh, well, that's what really I heard anyway. Uh, I don't know that's true. H C Madam and Taylor's initials, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I heard was that it was uh, supplied to the House of Commons. Eh? Yeah. You never heard that, did you? No, I did not. But I heard there were a man in the in the in the pub, and he got a half in a bush mills. And they asked the man, "What age was what day was Bushmills?" And he said it was three uh, three hundred years or something. <laughs> and he looked at the half sitting, looked at the half sitting on the counter to see, and it's more of his age. Well, you have a lot of stories, Eddie, and you have a lot of songs yes. too. One about the fairies. Now, was there a great Belief in the fairies in these parts? Oh, there was. I had plenty of belief in the fairies. The fairies dominated the place at one time. Um, but uh, I don't think that very much to do with the dyke. <laughs> well, did you ever hear that if you were making potching or anything like that, you'd have to leave out a wee drop for the fairies? Well, no, no, no. I never no? Got, no, no. Well, in some no. parts of the country, they have to I leave a drop always. The first. Leave glass for them. Yeah, the first job uh, goes to the fairies. Uh, well, they were generally a bit wherever that was a mocking, you see. <laughs> It'll be in some remote place. Some this remote was never place. a terrible fighting country here, Francis. It, it really never was. Uh, no. You know, you would have had to move further further away from the sea, like. Yeah, the mountain country was, was the fighting mm. country, you know what I mean? Oh, if you'd have been given or. or Going to Ballycaster or that direction, up the mountain, you know. But the good stuff always come down to the shore, but it, it never was made down here. It never really was. McGilligan is not a great area for fishing either, though it's surrounded on two sides by the sea. The fishing is for visitors and holiday makers only. It's not a commercial proposition. Jack Devenny again. From Fairhead to Malinhead, like, there's very little commercial fishing done, you know. You must go down the Irish Sea or down the west coast of, of Donegal, like, before you really get... Commercial fishing, you know, from boats, like real fishing boats. You know, you have a harbour at Portrush, but it, there's a few boats, but they don't fish commercially as such. Local. Is it is it because of the poor harbours that the fishing isn't good? Or is the other I don't way around? know. The fishing be good enough because the French sailors and all that, you know, they come up round this district. But no, I think it must be because the weather's so bad here from the north, like that they can't land at, at, or go out at the times they would want to commander go out, you know what I mean? But once you go down the west coast of Donegal, like, you know, they're more sheltered, or down the, from Fairhead down the ASC, like down the Antlip coast and that, you know, down the length of County down coast, good fishing this thing, but up here, no, very little. And there's no harbour around McGilligan itself? Oh, no, no, no. Sure, the bigger ships going to Corey and have to run to Maville there for shelter, like, if there's a, a big sea running from the north at all, they're way up to Maville to get out of there. I mean, I've seen them, like, Marooned there for, for a week trying to get into Korean because the weather was so bad, you know, they can't get over the bar at all. It'll grieve each heart while I'm apart for to relate those lines of lore that a ship of him trade or bind him 
One little lost upon the shore. Though having many seafaring associations then, McGilligan is still primarily an agricultural area, but the farming pattern has changed greatly over the years. The land between the mountains and the sea is now used mostly for raising cattle and sheep. The population is quite heavy for the for the land. I, I would say that in the days when the land was worked and laboured, no doubt uh, the, the, the manpower was needed. Now uh, a lot of people from McGilligan have to travel into Limavady and Coleraine uh, to find employment because most of the farms have been turned over for grazing and there isn't anything like the same amount of labour required. I cut turf for every year when I was young. I cut turf for 40 or maybe up to 50 days after that. And I, I knew wheelers coming on you. That was so sore on you, you see. So, uh, I know some money cut now, but everybody was waiting on me. When I cut to the one man, there was some other body waiting on me. From one to another, you cut all them days. And oh, I cut a big lump of turf. Well, the land now where we are here is mostly sandy. That's sand here, just the white sand. You're nothing here but the white sand that come a very one a day it would blow away. But up towards the, the cliffs there oh, now... Oh, there's land up there. It's good land there. Oh, I've been down here, it's only sand. And you've a forest here as well. It's an odd mossy field here, but these hills is all sand. And for nothing. It might grow you a lock or eye or something, but no, wouldn't grow you anything else. And you've a forest planted up here now? Well, I, there forest. There, in my time, there were no forests there. There were a place up there they called the big plant, and I went big plant and the trees. But uh, then they cut that all down. I helped to cut that plant. And now it's all planted around where you sit there. It's all planted doing new trees. You also did a bit of thatching in your time. I did. Uh, I, I did. I thatched my time. Money's a place I thatch. Money's a house I thatch. Well, there are still a few thatched houses here in McGilligan. Uh, but there are no so many new used to be. used to be old thatched houses, but there are no... The folk got a wee bit richer and they put a bit of slit on. Not safe to thatch it. There's a bit... Well, there's no more than a dozen of thatched houses. There's one right opposite us the here one now. right opposite. Right up there, John Fitton's. A lovely looking house. Oh, a lovely house. Are they house. going to preserve that? Well, I didn't know. They, they just keep it that way anyway. Would you tell them a bit about the, the herring furs in Derry? Because uh, it's, I think it's rather an interesting thing, the, in, both in Coleraine and in Limavady. Well, there, there were two herring furs. The one in Coleraine was called the Raft, and the one in Limavady was called the Gap. And you were down there and you stood up again in the corner to see if anybody would offer a win of pounds for you for the six months. Maybe you got eight or maybe you got nine or maybe you got ten. Yeah. That was for six months. It wouldn't bring you a think of what they're new for six pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you got for working all that time. And you were up for half past five in the morning and you maybe were in the red at, six at seven at night. On Saturday you had to work till eight day. It's the same thing. So that's nearly all I could tell you about. That's the truth. I want was a day's man I wrought causing and a day in the week was kept up for the rent. We had a row o'er the overs, my blood went in fire. 
So I piped up my bundle and I started to hire. My mother was flitching, she near made me curse. She says you'll go farther and you'll may be fair worse. I had a fiver saved up, it was had in the buyer. So I broke up at the bank and set up for the hire. I stood in the fair from morning till evening. Not a bud for my body did I receive. Says I to myself, it's a glass you require. Then stretch away home for your no gun to hire. But for the young people, hiring uh, fair at Limavady had its enjoyable side too. Oh, great crowd. All jolly and all nice and all running around them. Never come to these, and there are a lot of them maybe bought French fiddles, you know, for music. And they were noon down to the station, and they would have danced the shoes with their feet. So that to the train come on. And then you got on the train and you come home, and the next morning or the morning after you were back at your work, and that was you. That was a gallant. The music and song at Limavady Fair were an emotional escape from the indignity and near slavery of hiring. Many chose a more lasting escape through emigration. Len Graham. Yes, the, uh, the, the North Derry uh, region, especially Loch Foyle there, uh, was a major emigration centre. Uh, it covered the, uh, the whole of the northern province. Uh, as far down actually as Connaught and parts of uh, Leinster used the, the uh, northern ports of Derry. And uh, McGilligan, uh, the geography being such uh, on the Foyle and uh, North Channel there, uh, the emigrants would be passing by uh, using that main road round to catch the, 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 the vessel which lay anchored at Warren's Point just beside uh, Moville on the, voil- on the foil. There was a tender which served uh, from uh, Derry City up to the, the main vessel which lay at the anchorage uh, and then she would set sail from there with the emigrants. And, of course, there were songs made about emigration. Numerous songs about emigration. Uh, A lot of them mentioned Derry Kay, and uh, I think there are numerous songs which uh, uh, bring this in. Uh, I could sing one in particular, uh, Paddy's Green Shamrock Shore, uh, which is a a northern version of the Scots, commercialised quite a bit recently, but this is the older version of it. From Derry Cay we sailed away on the 23rd of May. We were taken on board by a pleasant crew bound for America. Fresh water then we didn't take on Five thousand gallons or more In case we would run short Going to New York Far away from the Shamrock Shore Farewell unto you, Eliza dear And likewise unto Derry Town 
And twice farewell to my comrades brave, who do well on that sainting ground. If fame or fortune shall favour me, and I should have money in store, I'll come back and I'll win the wheel I see I lend. On Paddy's green shamrock shore, and twelve o'clock we came in sight of famous Malinhen, and in the stroll far to the right rose out of the ocean bend. A grander sight now met my eyes than e'er I saw before. The sun going down twinks sea and sky far from the Shamrock shore. The emigrants went to America, they went to England, they went to Scotland. They went for a better day. Some of them got on well and some of them didn't. And some of them come back and some of them never come back. Went there for higher money. Went to the harvest, you know. All like that. Your father went there, did he? He did. No, he did not. He went to America and he stayed. But I don't think ever. He didn't stay that long after many years. And then he came back and uh, he got married then. Well, there's a the song about... The time he went to America. There's a song about the uh, harvesting in Scotland, isn't there? Over oh, there, in England. England, Eng- is it? English harvest. You know that one, Eddie? Oh, why? It's quite long, so. Well, give us a bit of it, anyhow. Oh, come all you through bread, Irish men not as intend to roam. For to reap the English harvest so far away from home be assured and be well man did was a comrade loyal and true for you'll have to fight both day and night was johnny in us a crew we sailed away out from the key and we nearly see a show on the tall we landed save on shore outside of car and dung where a number of our Irish men met us all under that town Hurrah, my boys, for Paddy's a land, sure it was the world That world of emigration and militant exile is now largely gone. But Eddie Butcher, with his 75 years behind him, with his experiences as a hired labourer, as a farm worker, as a craftsman who thatched the famous McGilligan Cottage, which now stands in the grounds of the Ulster Folk Museum at Coltra. Eddie, with his huge repertory of songs, many of his own composition, is a symbol of the old McGilligan which still lives. This is the McGilligan of a diverse but highly individual culture, of an ancient musical tradition in particular.
Uh, I suppose it's a, a vocal tradition mainly, at least as far as I know it, uh, with the one big exception, that's uh, uh, Dennis Hempson, the harper, uh, who lived in McGilligan and was visited there by Bunting about 1793, I think. Or before and, the... Uh, after the festival, yes, after, after mm. the, the harp festival, which he attended, Bunting, I think probably his first stop was McGilligan because he was extremely impressed with Hempson and uh, he took quite a number of airs from him, uh, and uh, uh, these have, I suppose, a certain folk character, some of them. But he was at the same time a kind of aristocratic relic, I think, in the area. But he was regarded as having the more traditional airs as compared with some of the other harpers, wasn't he? Well, that's true, I think, in, the, in regard to the harp tradition and its aristocratic character, and that's, that's certainly true. We also are told that the London Dairy Air, as it's called, was discovered in that area, or near Limavady, anyhow. Well, it was indeed, um, although its history is very obscure, and uh, it seems to me that it's been, uh, it's something that's been tampered with, and that what we have there is a, a kind of uh, um, uh, a favourite piece of the parlour in Victorian times, which... Uh, isn't entirely traditional and uh, it's rather interesting in fact I, I've noticed uh, one of the airs that Hempson gave to uh, Bunting is uh, really quite similar to the London Derry air and uh, I think perhaps that it represents a sort of traditional source. Mm. How do you see Eddie Butcher now fitting into the tradition there? Well, uh, he sort of sums it up for me, really. Uh, he's the man I know best in McGilligan, and I have a very long and uh, happy friendship with him since uh, the 1950s. Uh, he, he has a very large repertory of songs. Uh, I don't know if uh, anyone comes near it in, in that area, but uh, I am extremely impressed every time I meet him with the fact that he has got more to sing. And of all Eddie Butcher's ballads with which we might end this programme... We choose a verse from a song of his own composition. It's a smuggling song, appropriate to a border area, remarkable as much as anything today for his huge British prison camp, a place where Eddie's seldom expressed political philosophy is, like his songs, traditional and still very much alive. I was born in old Ireland all on a May day in a place called the North, I am sorry to say. For there were partitioned and kept to our soil, and the nothing divides us but a stream called Lofoil. But some day I hope you will all understand, we'll all be united by the women and men. When that day arrives, we'll be all glad to see old Ireland a nation and once again free. Oh, here in the north, we have all got to stay at strays and to visit the state for a day. If you like far to risk it, well, you can go across. But watch coming back, for you might meet the boss. Oh, Brian and I'll Wales, they will both take their stand. They'll search everybody that comes on the strand. 
to come empty-handed well you might be as well as standing your trial before Camden Bay.